It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Monday. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good evening, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, based in our studios in San Diego, with my co-host, the venerable John Riley. It was 99 degrees on a Monday afternoon in North San Diego County. We had John come in rather than do the show from left field, where his opinions are way off base. He's going to have way off base opinions here. John, great to have you with us. This is All-Star Break Week. we got a ton of topics on the table. We welcome everybody to our special monday live stream from our studios here in america's finest city yeah great to have you back you know and it's all-star weekend and uh i mean are you okay i mean you flew in from the (laughs) east coast you had a difficult trip but you got back to san diego my body clock is a little upside down uh the host woke up at 3 45 a.m today syracuse time to try to make connections on a flight after having gotten up at 4 a.m. yesterday only to get to the airport and have all my flights canceled. Uh, So I've been operating since 12.45 a.m. West Coast time. So here we are on a Monday night with our bonus podcast. But uh, vacation was great. It was fun to do our podcast from my cottage in the northern Adirondacks. Mm -hmm. It looked pretty slick. I hope the fans enjoyed it. Technology did a good job for us. Wish technology would help the airlines a little bit, but that's not possible. But, you know, you're running on fumes, but you're the franchise, so you're ready to go. Let's talk baseball. Go ahead. All right. So we got to talk about the Padres. Hey, they won five of six, you know, finishing out the first half. Got to be optimistic, right? Well, I guess there's two ways to look at this. I mean, the Padres are still a fair distance out of the wild card race. But yes, you're correct. They have won five of the last six. Geez, the all-star break is here. You don't want them to cool off. But in all honesty, the hitters might cool off. But the pitchers are fatigued. They really need these four days off. So that's critically, critically important. You know, in in, in terms of the Padres situation, it has been such a roller coaster ride. They're sitting there at 43 and 47. They're still six back of the last wild card spot, and I think nine back of the top wild card position, and they're still the proverbial bunch of teams in front of them. We'll say this, though. uh, The batting order is really hot. You know, Manny Machado, who had he had a month, he hit 152. Go figure that out. Wow. Now, I think he was dinged. Mm-hmm. He's not talking about it. There was a hand issue. There was a back issue. But he is he is swinging the club right now. He's hitting 406 since July 1st. He's rolling. Tatis is hitting 400 in his last nine games. He's got it dialed in. It's been a pretty good couple of months for Soto. And he's done very well. Bogart's X-Man is hurt. He's trying to grind through it. That wrist problem just continues to flare. So we get to the All-Star break. Manny is hitting 261, which is a far cry better than the 230s that he hit mm-hmm. for a couple of months. Uh, El Nino is hitting 288, and he's done well. Xander, the X-Man, is hitting 253. Soto has driven his average, pulled it up, kicking and screaming, 265. The thing that I find magical about the way these guys are swinging the sticks right now is that's a really dangerous batting order. And that's the most amazing thing. All of a sudden, pitcher gets a guy on base, and here comes a Fab Four. And if I'm a guy on the mound, I said, uh-oh, there's problem brewing here. If you don't get the eighth and ninth and leadoff guys out, 
you're mm-hmm. in big trouble because those guys are on the bases. And here comes the Fab Four. If this collective group at the top of the batting order can get their averages all to about 270 with the power they have displayed, John, this is a team that's going to hit its way maybe into the wild card playoff race. And I, I tend to think they need to because I think the pitching staff is really running on fumes and we still have 72 games uh, to play. So I think the key is these sticks have to stay hot for the Padres to really forge their way up here and get this done. Rotation, I'm really concerned. Darvish does not look to be the same dominant physical specialist of a pitcher that Darvish has been. Musgrove is rolling. Joe is 7-0 and with a 1.70 ERA in his last nine starts. You can't get any better than that, unless your name is Blake Snell. And Blake <laughs> Snell has had nine phenomenal starts. I went through and did a check on this. Last 53 innings, he's given up four runs. Wow. Four runs in 53 innings. Now, this isn't the guy that we saw at the beginning of this season. Mm-hmm. That's not the guy that we saw each of the last prior two seasons where he was horrible. Well, when your ERA yeah. <laughs> is 7.00, that's bloody bad. But 53 innings, four runs allowed, only 22 hits. He's got 84 strikeouts, John, in 53 innings. This is the vintage Blake Snell we saw that year in Tampa when he won the Cy Young, and he was 21-5. and five. So he has really done well. But I, I'm, I'm kind of concerned because Waka has thrown up chunk innings. He's had shoulder flare-ups twice. Lugo has gone more innings now as a starter than he'd done collectively as a as a reliever part-time starter with the Mets would be worried about that. Morion, who's you know had this elbow flare-up, continues to be an issue in terms of how long can you throw him? Can you trust him? Will he stay healthy? Ryan Weathers has regressed to the point he can't get anybody out, not at Pitco Park and not at AAA El Paso. They don't have a lot of other pitching. Uh, the bullpen, we're still holding our breath. You know, which Luis Garcia shows up, uh, what what happens uh, with Suarez, who that's a long road back. There is no sighting of Drew Pomerantz. To me, the, the you know, Stephen Wilson's had the bicep now. It'll be post-All-Star game before he's ready. There's an overuse factor that I think is, <laughs> has got to scare a lot of people in the upstairs at Petco Park right now. Um, are, they, are they back in the race? Well, they won five of six. Here's the key, and we're going to talk more about this in our Thursday podcast, John. Here's the key. They come out of the All-Star festivities in Seattle, 10 in a row on the road. Ooh. And they open at Philly, which is in a dogfight trying to save its season. And by the way, they got to go play Texas, as surprised a team as there is in the American League, who just beats the hell out of the ball. And they play those guys on the road, too, in Arlington. So they got a 10-game roadie right at the end, which I think is going to decide whether or not they're in the playoff race or if effectively their season is over before we get to the middle of July. So I think a tough 10-game road trip. So you hope the bats don't cool down, but I'll tell you, these four days off for the All-Star festivities got to help a fatigued pitching staff. So that's where we are. Stay hot, cool off. Boy, the teams are going to play once they come out of this All Star break. That's vicious stuff. Yeah, but they keep teasing us. Oh. You know, they'll they'll win three in a row and then they lose two in a row. And you know, but something seems to have changed now that Machado has really stepped up. I mean, his OPS in July is like over fourteen hundred. I mean, the dude is mashing, hit two home runs off Scherzer. You got to love that. I saw someone post on Twitter. They said that, and I, I'm not sure if this is right. Where the are the Padres won eight of their last ten, and if that's true, then 
they said that if that if they kept that pace up, which would be crazy, they would win 97 games by the end of the season. So he figured they still have it within him to do it. Machado's hitting better. You know, like Xander's is probably feeling the pressure of that big contract. Same with Cronenworth. They're going to turn it around, hopefully. But you got to love the starters. Yeah, you're right. Musgrove and uh, Snell have been great. But I think Suarez and Wilson are going to be key for this going down the second half. You're ever the optimist. And by the way, could you please explain to me in 10 words or less why a guy talking Padre baseball is wearing a giant lid on our podcast? (laughs) Because I always wear my Padre hat, but I figured, you know, why not? It's it's an all-star break. I'll wear the Giants hat today. Okay, from Padre baseball, uh, let's talk about what's going on in Los Angeles because, boy, there are a lot of storylines, a lot of different angles to Dodger baseball. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of trade possibilities, Lee. You've built a big board here. Let's take a look. Well, the the Dodgers are, are... really scuffling and they're they have now they have no healthy starting pitchers who've been off the disabled list every one of their starters has been spent time on the il and that includes kershaw who is 10 and 4 with a 2.55 era and now has obviously got the shoulder issue and cortisone injection etc uh, Julio Urias is not the same pitcher from the guy that was, what, 21-4 and four last season. Uh, that's a big issue. Uh, they don't know what they have with Syndergaard. They're bringing him back after the All-Star break uh, from Camelback Ranch. They're going to probably put him back in the rotation. Has he solved his mechanical flaws? Has he found his velocity? Uh, the Dodgers right now just have a ton of pitching issues that they're going to have to find answers to. And the answer will be between now and July 31st, the trade deadline. These are the names that are out there right now that they could probably make a bid on and get somebody as a rental starting pitcher for the second half of the season. And that's all it's going to be. They're not going to trade all the kid pitchers from Oklahoma City. James Paxton, once upon a time, was a tremendous prospect with Seattle. Physical, all types of injuries, shoulder, elbow, forearm, went to Boston, has been on off the IL for a couple years in a row. When he's healthy, he's been pretty good. But Boston's out of the race. They're not going to be in the wild card. They might move James Paxton, left-handed pitcher. Lance Lynn is kind of a, a, a fourth or fifth guy in your rotation. Former St. Louis Cardinal, now with the White Sox. Uh, strikes out a lot of guys, workhorse, piles innings, gives up a ton of home runs. You could probably get him for two nickels. Uh, <laughs> he's at the end of his contract. White Sox are not going to bring him back. The thing is, if you bring him in and give him the ball as your fifth starter, is the ball going to go over the wall? Because he's given up, I think he's given up 22 home runs the first half of the season, which is a lot. Uh, Brad Hand, ex Padre closer, uh, as, as a setup reliever. Maybe he helps him. He's currently in Colorado. He's kind of bounced around the league a lot, which surprises me because he had some really back-to-back, really good years with San Diego. And then, of course, he was traded away, what was with the Phillies a year ago. Brad Hand might might be a solution to what's been a very hot and cold bullpen. Uh, they're trying to find a right-handed bat to complement everything else that's happening in the batting order. You talk about mashing, holy cow, it's like howitzer shells going out of Dodger Stadium. Uh, I think they're the second best home run hitting team in baseball. And Mookie Betts, all-star. Freddie Freeman, all-star. The young catcher, Will Smith, hitting home runs. Dodgers are a pretty good home run hitting team, but they're looking for a right-handed bat. They might rent Adam Duvall. You know, he played well in Cincinnati. He was a role player that helped Atlanta last year, went to Boston, started hot, then and then 
either yeah, fractured wrist on a hit by pitch, it's taken him forever to get back. He is back. Another kid might be Cincinnati. Nick Senzel has been kind of pushed aside. He's a hot prospect and play outfield, play infield. Does have some power. He's available because the Reds have got all these young kids that kind of gone to Great American Ballpark and are playing well. So keep an eye on the Dodgers. They they always historically have done something. Now I don't think they're going to do a mega deal, you know, like getting a Max Scherzer. I don't think that's going to happen. But to get a guy to help them in the rotation in the bullpen, I could see that happen between now and the trade deadline on July 31st. Your impressions? Yeah, I agree with you. I think they're going to make a lot of small pieces to kind of fit in in some of those holes. But last time we talked about the Dodgers, you said that Marcus Stroman was a possibility. Yep. That they, but that would require a lot of cap trade capital to make that happen. What's the latest on that rumor? Well, Stroman is out there. The Cubs have told him they're not going to sit and offer him a contract extension yet. It doesn't make any sense to me because he's having a mystical season. Very dominant pitcher. He gets to the all-star break, and um, he's had really good starts in terms of strikeouts, things of that nature. Really impressive ERA. Why the Cubs would not sign him is kind of beyond me. If you're going to let guys go, the guys like Kyle Hendricks and some of these other kids, uh, maybe you do that. But the price to get him, and it wouldn't be a I don't think it would be a one-year rental because if I'm the Cubs— I want one of those young live arms from Oklahoma City. Oh, yeah. I mean, Stroman's going to leave or they're not going to sign him. you got to get something back. Did the Dodgers want to do that if it's only a half-year rental? Or, and this could happen, the Dodgers could go back to the Cubs front office and say, we're interested in Stroman. You give us a window to talk to his agent about a contract extension. So they wouldn't rent him for half a season. What they would do is come to an agreement on what a multi-year extension for Stroman would be and then go ahead and make the trade because you know you're getting them for not just the last 70 games of this season, but you're getting them for a second year, a third year, maybe maybe even a fourth year. But it's going to have payroll implications. And, of course, you and I have talked extensively about they're hiding all this money under this corner of the table for yeah, Shohei Otani. Yeah. So keep keep that in mind. But well, I, Lee, I, I th- Have you seen what Bellinger is doing in Chicago? Yeah. I mean, what a great bounce back here. Yeah, and he's a walk-free agent at the end. But is that for real? Is that the real deal? Because it wasn't real for a long, long period of time. One other side story here on the Dodgers. Let me throw this at you. I don't know if you've you've caught wind of this. Uh, Dave Roberts has really been grilled by the LA media covering the Dodgers about where they are, their struggles, what organizationally they're going to do. Although historically, Andrew Friedman has always made transactions, big deals like Scherzer stealing Mm -hmm. them from San Diego or small deals to rent a vet. Uh, and then Dave Roberts was asked about his team, and he says, the difference in our team this year, even though they, they lost the Justin Turners of the world, and a lot of that team chemistry went away, he says there is a drive within that clubhouse, an emotional drive, never, ever to give up. And he made a really strange statement that kind of opened my eyes. He said, last year when we lost to the Padres, we went in there and we didn't respect San Diego, and San Diego beat us. Mm. And he said, you know, Baseball, at least the way we've played it, you can't just turn the switch on. you got to be relentless. You need to do it for an extended period of time. So it's kind of a backhanded compliment and maybe a backhanded cr- critique. The Dodgers weren't emotionally ready, and they didn't respect the Padres, and they got knocked out of the playoffs because of what San Diego did. Now, since that point in time, the Dodgers have kicked the Padres' butt in all these games they played this season. So the norm is the norm, with the exception of what happened last October. Yeah, well, for sure— 
the Dodgers have been kicking the Padres' butt for years. So I can see why the players felt that way. But it's just interesting, too. Even Justin Turner is is talked about as a trade piece now. Mm-hmm. Imagine if these former Dodgers all came back. Because if they're all rentals, those guys would plug in. might help the chemistry overall over there in L.A. Yeah, and Justin Turner did not want to leave Dodger Stadium. He'd become a, an icon within the clubhouse. He'd done so many charitable things with his his wife in the L.A. community. And I think it, was, it, it just kind of hurt him that... They weren't going to pay him. He didn't get the money he thought he was supposed to get. He wound up, I think, on a two-year deal to go to Boston. I'd be fascinated if if that right-handed bat we talked about that they'd like to add wound up being Justin Turner in multiples of positions and, and roles to play. Fascinating. Okay, before we do anything else, let's just introduce again, for those of us joining on the live stream, this is our bonus Monday coverage. We're here Mondays. We do long-form podcast on Thursdays. Just remind them how they can subscribe to what we're doing and what we do with our website and all the different platforms that you push all this data out on a day-in, day-out basis. Speaking of not sleeping, how the hell do you do this? <laughs> you, know, you know, we have over 1,000 video clips on YouTube right now. That's incredible. I mean, what we've been doing here. So, yeah, if you want to get involved, you want to subscribe, you can subscribe wherever you get your audio-only podcasts. Cert- certainly subscribe on YouTube. Like, follow, share, and subscribe. Hacksaw is on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. we got to get you on threads. That's the new one, you know, from, uh, from Zuckerberg. So you're everywhere. You're all over the digital media landscape. So here we go, Lee. A reminder, subscribe. We want you to tell all your friends what we're doing. There's a lot of people out there that don't know what we're doing. Reminder, check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. It is all written. If you liked all the way I did sports talk radio, you like what I have. I guarantee you, you give me five minutes every morning. You read my website. You'll be the most informed person in San Diego outside of me and and my co-host. And by the way, give us a thumbs up. You get a chance. Give us a five-star rating. We have no pride. We need all the help we can get. And again, we busted through the magic. 2,000 subscriber base uh, with our YouTube. Uh, now our next goal, push this sucker to 2,500 subscribers by Labor Day. And I don't know what the Instagram scoreboard is, but it's absurd yeah. how many hits we're getting there. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, we have some videos there are approaching a half a million views. And I think the follower count on Instagram is is really close to 8,000. So the odometer is going to turn again. And that's only in about 10 weeks since we started to screw around with Instagram. So we thank you for being mm-hmm. part of our team. Uh Let's move on. NFL training camps are opening and a really unique story that's just kind of busted out in Washington, D.C. about the NFL. Yeah, I saw the headline about this, about the Rooney rule. And are they thinking about maybe turning the page? That guy is demanding they turn the page. That guy is Demora Smith, the outgoing president of the NFL Players Association. He has just retired from that position. And he put on a seminar at Yale University last week. And he proposed a 10-point plan for the National Football League to change the way they interview head coaches. He obviously is pushing hard for more minority hirings, and he wants the infrastructure of how they interview these guys to be changed differently. In essence, he said, the Rooney rule has failed. I I, I tend to disagree a little bit with him. However, DeMora Smith has proposed that he leads the formation of a coaches union and he's got all this experience in collective bargaining, having been the head for a decade plus of the Players Association. Now he's talking about forming a coaches union. He's also said 
the NFL. We need transparency about who you interview, how you interview, what the process is like. None of this stuff hidden behind this purple curtain. And he says they want, if they form this union, they want an independent auditor that will then publicize on an annual basis in a report all the interview processes with all the teams in the NFL, who they interviewed, what happened during the course of the interview, etc. They, in essence, are trying to get rid of the, quote, token interview. Right. So that's a big issue there. He's also going to demand that the NFL eradicate the rule that you have to ask for permission to talk to a guy on somebody else's staff. You know, because clubs can block guys. The league theory is you can't move as an offensive coordinator with the Chargers and become the offensive coordinator in Buffalo. You can't make a lateral move. He wants all that eradicated. Yeah. Guys have a right to move to a different position, move up, move over if they wish. Sure. For more information, gathering information. He also wants to eliminate the permission clause that you don't need to ask to interview a head uh, coaching candidate on another team. But he also says, let's stop the stupidity that this is a fair process because if the New York Jets fire their coach October 30th, they have all this lead-up time. He wants the calendar of events changed, which means we can't have any early interviews. You can't interview anybody until the Super Bowl is over Everybody who blows their staff up starts absolute square one, ground zero. We all know what the rules are because the league is going to publish annually what the interview process is like. He also wants these positions posted for a 30-day full period. So he's saying transparency, this job is open. Tell me what the New York Giants did to fill this job. Make that information available to everybody. He says the Rooney rule has failed. I'm not sure it's failed, but I I think there's so many interchangeable rules that you can't talk to this guy during this portion of the playoffs. Other teams can start their interview process. Um, it's, it's very convoluted. He wants it crystal clear, black and white. This is the structure. This is what you have to do. Do you think the Rooney Rue failed? It seems like it's manipulated a lot mm-hmm. where they'll they'll bring in uh, you know, a coach of color and it's sort of like a token interview. It's so they can check a box to say they've done it. But, you know, if you just there's obviously the race issue and that there's a lot going on with Supreme Court, affirmative action, et cetera. But there still are discrimination rules that apply across the economy, not just in football that you think would apply. But to take it a step further, when these coaches fire, I mean, when these owners fire a hedge coach, they usually have someone in mind that they'd want. There's always some hot guy that they would love to just slide right in. They don't go through, let's just say, a completely open and fair and balanced interview process because people have their favorites. Regardless of skin color, they're going to pick who the hot guy is. And it might be like the new coach in Houston. Exactly. I I think the other factor is because people raise red flags and say, oh, now we're going to have a quota? The NFL has to have a quota number of minorities as, as head coaches. We can't have that. Owner owner has to hire who the owner wants to hire, who he believes right. is the right guy to hire. But the process seems really, really flawed, and that's what's got Demar Smith yeah. up in arms. And that's why the Brian Flores Miami Dolphins lawsuit with three other black assistant coaches who thought they really got screwed in the process that suddenly the New York Giants are going to bring 
Brian Flores in for a head coaching interview and he finds out through the background that they'd already made a commitment to another yeah. head coach. And it's Brian just a Dable. dog and pony show. Yeah. So Dora Smith is going to try and clean it up. I think the first thing that's going to happen, I think there's going to be a coaches union. And I'm all for it because coaches need representatives. Sure. So, and I, th- I like the idea of just sort of setting the ground rules. Okay, let's move on. we got NBA basketball to talk about. A lot of fascinating storylines here. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of these summer league games on television, and it's kind of fun to see. You know, I saw Wemby in one of the games. He gets to see some of these former Aztecs play. It's a, lot of, it's a great time in Vegas. Well, the storyline in Vegas right now is that guy, Pops, and the other guy, Wemby. We're talking about Greg Popovich. Five NBA championship rings, 1,300 career victories, just signed a five-year, $80 million extension to stay. A year ago this time, they said, Greg Popovich done, era over in San Antonio. Uh, and instead, he's signed on for five more years. And Wambanyama, uh, first game, Las Vegas Summer League. One thing we can say, he's big. He covers a lot of ground defensively. The other thing, he just kind of really struggled offensively, but that's to be expected. He's an 18-year-old kid who played in France. Granted, he played against men, but he's not playing NBA players. Uh, He went 2-4-13 shooting first game. Nine points, eight rebounds, five blocks. The guy is big. He makes a lot of defensive things happen. He came back in his second game. They lost. They played Portland. But San Antonio's number one pick scored 27 points. Yeah. It was like 10 for 15 shooting. Uh, he's gifted. Now, he's going to have to learn about the physicality of the NBA because he's going to get pushed around by, by big bodies. And, you know, he had, he had a 6'9 guy stuff on him, take it to the hole and slam dunk the ball and nearly him through. So he's going through a learning curve. Uh, but, boy, the kid does so many gifted things defensively. So that that is going to be fun to watch as he grows through this process. Yeah, I saw him play in one of the games, and the dude has an outside shot. He can handle the ball, you know, so he's got good handles. Un- it's really unusual. It's like looking at Manute Bowl. Exactly. Well, but he's got more. I think he's got more offensive qualities exactly. than Exactly. He's like a coordinated Manute Bowl. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the San Antonio fans have got to be thrilled to have him. Hopefully they'll build around him. But I, I see the graph Coach Pop. I think he looks like Donald Sutherland. I mean, what yeah. do you think? Yeah, he's close. <laughs> he looks like a lot of different people. Uh, but uh, I've, I've been impressed what we see, and this kid will grow, and hopefully he'll stay healthy. Uh, you mentioned Aztec players. I feel really bad for Nathan Mensa. I don't understand what's gone on in Charlotte. And, of course, the whole spotlight in Charlotte is on the number two tick, Brandon Miller, uh, the kid from Alabama, who had a, a good first game, a rocky second game, but you see all these gifts offensively and all the wide variety of shots. Nathan Mensa in a first summer league game. Now this they they had a, a tournament in Sacramento first before they went to Vegas. He went four for four from the floor, and he had I think five rebounds, maybe a block shot along the way. Hasn't played since. Yeah, DNP. I'm kind of disappointed because I thought as a role player, a defensive specialist, they'd give him more minutes. But the fact is, I don't think he's played three games in a row now. That disappoints me. Uh, and, you know, the other guys uh, have not gotten opportunities. Uh, uh, the shooting guard, has the three-point artist from San Diego State, is at Golden State. No, but, Adam Seiko. Seiko, but DNP. have not seen him mm-hmm. in any of the box scores yet. And, I, you know, uh, Matt Bradley, I'm not sure where he is. I don't know if he's on anybody's roster. I thought somebody would give him a look-see. Maybe he winds up in the NBA G League, or maybe he's going to have to go to Europe to play. But I felt bad for Mensa because the first game he played, he played a lot of minutes. I think he was 4-for-4 four four shooting, 
Uh, I think he had maybe eight or nine points, a couple rebounds, and he only played like 14 minutes. He hasn't played since. Yeah, I mean, they carry a big roster, don't they? Like mm-hmm. more than 15 guys, yep. it seems. And, you know, they've got their favorites. They've got certain guys they want to see on the court. And they probably fill out that roster so they can have practice players and that sort of thing. But I saw Adam Seiko sitting on the bench for the Warriors last night. He looked kind of bummed. You know, you could tell that he's not really part of the the plan. You know, he's just a, a, a warm body there. Uh, but I still, I look at a lot of those players in the G League, and a lot of them, I don't know who the heck they are. Well, they're all fringe guys. Uh, in baseball, we call them 4A players. Yeah. But, I, you know, I think from Seiko's perspective, practice hard under Steve Kerr. If you're playing in scrimmages in practice, if you hit threes, you're going to get a longer look. Maybe not in a summer league game because they got all these young draft picks that they got to get answers on. Oh, yeah. But if if you're consistent and you work hard, and that's what I would tell them face-to-face, don't worry about where you're going at the end of the summer because if you're doing what you need to do in practice and in Golden State scrimmages against Clay Thompson, those guys, you're going to wind up in the G League. And you, you'll, you'll play maybe a Golden State's G League team, and that's all he needs is a door open as an entree in. Okay, let's talk college basketball because, boy, this story, the weather is hot and the tempers in Morgantown, West Virginia, are really hot too. Yeah, so did Bob Huggins sober up and now suddenly change the storyline here? This, What's going on? This story just kind of developed over the weekend. Bob Huggins' personal lawyer uh, put out a statement that his client has been in alcohol rehab for four weeks since the the last episode, the point two one uh, blood alcohol DUI in Pittsburgh, which came on the heels of the interview in which he slurred Catholics and everything on a talk show in Cincinnati. Yeah. And, and gays. Yeah, and I said all along, there's obviously a substance abuse problem. Anyhow, the lawyer goes public, puts out a statement, Bob Huggins never resigned that the statement that was made was written by his wife and texted to the president of West Virginia University that Bob Huggins was going to step aside. The lawyer says Bob Huggins never agreed to step aside. He did agree to go into alcohol rehab. He's been in an intensive program for four weeks, which is obvious he really needed. There's evidently there are clauses in the contract if you're terminated for cause. You have to sign off on the agreement that's made, and he's never signed anything. But that's because he had gone to alcohol rehab. The president of West Virginia said, Gordon G., who used to be at Ohio State, said he is not coming back. We have made our decision, and we're not going to revisit this. And then the lawyer says, you better lawyer up because there is a lawsuit coming. (laughs) So, you know, illegal termination, whatever, uh, pretty, pretty ugly way for him. For Huggins, unfortunately, to not be able to control his life to end the way it did. But I don't see that West Virginia University had any alternative because what he did on both occasions over a six-week window was so egregious. You can't bring that guy back. Well, didn't they already replace him? They, They moved the assistant coach up to the, quote, interim head coach. I I don't know if he coaches the entire season or whether they're conducting interviews to get a head coach before fall practice opens. But just an ugly story. Now Huggins is pushing back and said, I did not resign. Oh, my God. Bad. This is like the San Diego State thing with the letter. Like, we were moving. We're not leaving. I mean, it's nuts. On we go. Let's talk NHL hockey because, boy, have we come through about a week and a half of amazing player turnover, John. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this big board here, Lee, and there's some big names here on this list. First of all, last week, for all of those of you who are hockey fanatics that follow what I do covering the NHL, 166 players changed teams 
in about a five-day span. It's absolutely stunning the amount of money that's being thrown out there. And guys going from every team to other places. Virtually every marquee free agent has now been swept off the board. These are hot names that are out there that are still going to probably move. Vlad Tarasenko played with the St. Louis Blues, was a right winger, scored a pile of goals, but he kind of talked his way out of St. Louis. I think they got tired of the act, especially at the other end of the ice where he wouldn't play defense. So he wound up going, and the New York Rangers brought him on at midseason last year, trade deadline, and a pretty significant trade. He played okay. He wasn't the sniper that he was in St. Louis, and the Rangers decided to cut him loose. So he's still on the open market. We're in the second week of free agency, and you got a former 50-goal scorer who has not been signed. So there must be some baggage out there that people just don't want to get involved with. Uh, I was told uh, Tarasenko is meeting with the Carolina Hurricane. It would probably be a lower-priced contract. So that's one name. Uh, Eric Carlson, great defenseman, San Jose Sharks. Uh, he's going to be traded. He asked to be traded. Uh, he's not a bad dude. He's, he's you know, north of 30 years old, but the guy is still vibrant. Tremendous offensive guy from the blue line. Uh, he's making 11.5 mil, and he wants to be traded. I hear somehow Pittsburgh is going to make a deal to get Eric Carlson. It would involve multiples of picks. San Jose would pay a piece of the $11.5 million per year. Still got four years to go. Uh, Carlson's probably going to be traded. This guy just got traded and got traded to the wrong team, though. Alex DeBrincat uh, was with the Ottawa Senators, scored 27 goals last year on a really bad team. However, asking for a ton of money. I thought he was coming to the Ducks. I thought there was a legitimate chance they could add him because they have still big cap space. They've spent on a couple of free agents already. Instead, Detroit turned around late last night, and the Red Wings traded a first and a second and two top prospects to Ottawa to get the guy. He scored 27 goals, got a big contract, just signed a contract extension. So he's a sniper coming in the front door. And I don't know how they're going to resolve this oil fire in Anaheim with the star goaltender, John Gibson. He wants out. Uh, His agent is denying reports out of Canada that John Gibson told the general manager, Pat Verbeek, I'm never going to put the jersey on again. I don't want to play here anymore. And Gibson's been a great goaltender, and he's making six and a half mil, one of the highest paid goaltenders in the league. But he's tired of being in rebuild mode. I told you the story. A year ago, I watched I watched a Ducks game, and he faced 30 shots in one period. In one period. Wow. Nobody was playing well in front of him. He just got besieged, and he got hurt. And he's looking at so much rubber, and he's, he's tired of it. He just wants to go to a contender. Good guy, played for the goals for a short period of time. I don't know how they're going to put this fire out, because the Ducks have high draft picks, good kids coming, spent – a real chunk of change to get a big defenseman and to get another goal scorer. It's going to be a better team on the ice in front of Gibson, but Gibson just doesn't want to be there. So keep an eye on that story because something's got to happen there. I mean, the agent denies the statement from the Canadian press that Gibson said, I'll never put that jersey on again. Please trade me. 
that's where we are. Yeah, well, I think a lot of times it's just a respect thing, right? If you're if you're asking to be traded, you'd like to be traded. You know, it's not unlike you know we're talking about the NFL coaches wanting to be able to make lateral moves as well. Uh, so interesting to see how this goes down. I think the Ducks. It just seems like there's so much transition going on there. And, you know, by the way, over the weekend I was watching ESPN 30 for 30, and they had a special about the Ducks. Have you seen that no. one? And it was really interesting. It had uh, what's the guy's name? Robert Iser. He was the chairman yes. of Disney, and how they started the team, and then they named it the Mighty Ducks, and and how the the fans reacted, the NHL fans reacted, and then how they suffered, and then they got uh, Paul Korea. Paul Korea. Timo Solani. Solani. And then they went to the finals against the Red Wings. Was it the Red Wings? No, it was the Devils. And uh, went all the way to the Game 7. It was a really cool documentary about yeah, the Ducks. They put that thing together. It took them a while. They did suffer, but they kept getting high picks. They started to hit on a bunch of the high picks. And they got a goaltender. you got to have a goaltender to go deep into the Stanley Cup. We saw what Vegas did with their fifth-string goaltender this year when they raised the Cup. But they made a deal to get John Sebastian Giger, who had been a journeyman, had been with the New York Islanders. He came in, and he set all kinds of records for the Ducks over a four- or five-year window. But like all teams, you get good. Then they got guys hurt. Guys became free agents. Uh, the, the the budget went up. They, I mean, they traded Korea, but he had been he had a significant concussion problem. Solani was brilliant, you know, Hall of Fame career. But then he turned age thirty eight, and his game game was over. Yeah. So they've been through the ups and the downs. That's interesting. I'll, I'll try to pay attention to the thirty by thirty thing. Hey, before we move to the next topic on the table, which is really controversial, John, uh, tell everybody about Fans Forum right at the end of our live stream today. Yeah, yeah. If you want to get involved in Fans Forum, I see a number of people in there. Manny and Ryan, you're involved. If you have a question or a comment for Hacksaw, do you want to drop it in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube? We'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. Looks like we've got about two more topics on the table before we get to it. And it's a great way to get everybody involved. And by the way, you're watching this podcast live stream live or you're, you're picking it up after the fact. Check my website. It's all written. LeeHacksawHamilton.com. No excuse. Excuses accepted. If I spend all this time digging for stories and writing these stories, you spend a little bit of time reading it, think you really like it. All right, let's go off track here. Let's talk about a story that's resurfaced. Everybody's really shocked at what happened in horse racing. Yeah, I mean, this this Bob Baffert guy, he always is in the news. He's getting suspended. Is he like the bad guy of sports racing? What do you think? Well, Churchill Downs has just issued an extended suspension to Bob Baffert. Brief background, he was the trainer of the Kentucky Derby winner in 2021, Medina Spirit. The horse tested positive for an ointment that was in his system, kind of a steroid. Uh, He said, we never injected the horse. The horse was given a type of liniment because of a muscle issue. That liniment contained an illegal item. Uh, Churchill Downs said, no, the horse tested positive. He's your horse. That's your trainer. You're suspended for two years from competition. And then California abided by the suspension, so Baffert was not allowed there. So Baffert's Triple Crown horses had to move out of his stable, and he rented them to other trainers so they could still run. Uh, But... I, I And I find that this is almost double jeopardy. It makes no sense to me at all. Guy already served a two-year suspension. It was barred from the Kentucky Derby, the Triple Crown races. Why would you go back and suspend him again? He hasn't done anything wrong since the first suspension was handed down. But their, their response was uh, uh, another suspension for another calendar year because of the, quote, false narrative 
that he just continues to espouse that I did nothing wrong. Um, <laughs> should I should I raise the flag and say maybe that's comparable to Trump? No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but so so the false narrative. The and Churchill Downs said he's been unwilling to accept the responsibility of what he got involved with with Medina Spirit. By the way, that horse passed away, broke mm-hmm. down a year ago, and said the man just continues to operate with disregard of the rules. So I don't know. Is this double jeopardy? Is this fair or foul for Bob Baffert? Because he is one of the great trainers of all time. I mean, he's saddled all these Derby winners, all these Triple Crown winners. Um, he's a little bit offbeat. I've talked to him. I've interviewed him a couple of times. I like him, but he operates to his own beat of the drum. So double jeopardy here. Well, well, maybe the horse had ringworm, you know, <laughs> and, and then we had to get Tatis and get steroids in there. Hey, uh, it's double jeopardy. He's getting penalized twice for the same crime. And if he's de- declaring his innocence, I mean, you can't blame a guy for saying that. Whether he's lying or telling the truth, he's going to have his own statement on the issue. You can't be penalized for saying you're innocent. So I, I, I don't like this look. Yeah, I don't like it either because I, I think the man has done some phenomenal things for horse racing. But their response to Churchill Downs is, Bob, you had six different horses that had drug testing issues going back over a group of years. These can't all be just odd occurrences, mistakes by the trainer, eating tainted hay, things of that nature. So this was a compilation of all the things that he was found guilty of with other horses. And then it was topped off by what happened with the tragedy with Medina Spirit. From that... I'm going to send you outside. I want you to work on your penalty kick. Let's talk soccer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was watching the uh, the Gold Cup semifinal or quarterfinal last night. It was a lot of fun, but there's a lot going on in the EPL as yeah. well. Let's quickly talk about hot headlines in soccer before we go to Fans Forum. His name is Christian Pulisic, and he is going to Italy. He has turned down an opportunity to stay uh, in the English Premier League. Chelsea owned his rights. He's on the final year of the contract. Pulisic was offered in a deal to another team. We think it's the Tottenham Hotspur. He turned it down. He doesn't want to stay in the EPL. He's going to, he's, evidently, there's negotiations for a $23 million a year package to take Melissic to the legendary Italian side, AC Milan. Mm. So he's leaving the EPL. I, I think he's developed so fast as a leader and a quality player but he never really got a legitimate chance in Chelsea, in part because of coaching changes, in part because he was hurt a lot. But he's exiting the EPL and the English Premier League, the trophy you see there with the ribbons, it's 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 the elite league in the globe. But he's opting out. His name is Kai Mbappe. He's from France. He is walking away from Paris Saint-Germain, and they are up in arms. They've already lost players who've defected. Lionel Messi has gone uh, to MLS soccer. Uh, Mbappe is leaving, says he will not stay at Paris Saint-Germain. You better do a transfer deal right now. His mail, I bet, is going to be sent to Real Madrid. Uh, Chelsea continues to bleed players. I don't know what's going on with the American ownership there, but they've lost a lot of guys who've gone other places, some to Saudi Arabia, obviously for big paydays, other guys moving to other teams. Mason Mount, pretty good goal scorer for Chelsea. He has just signed at Manchester United, and this is more of a chemistry acquisition than it is anything else. Meanwhile, we all know that name at the bottom there, Megan Rapinoe. A legendary star, USA Women's Soccer. She has just announced her retirement this week, effective at the end of the World Cup, which they hope she's going to raise the World Cup for her third time. She's got two World Cup titles to her credit. She was a captain. She won an Olympic gold medal. 
And the unsung part about Megan Rapinoe is that she was the one that was the force that drove home the lawsuit that became successful for Team USA's women to be paid on an even-steven basis with Team USA's men. All the money they earn goes into a pot, and it is distributed equally uh, for wins, for a number of tournaments that you play in, and for individual players. Megan Rapinoe is is the one that did that. And you mentioned, obviously, uh, Team USA. uh, they, They beat Canada. How about their goaltender, Matt Turner? Two saves on penalty shots in the overtime shootout. You never see that in soccer. Matt Turner, New England Revolution, maybe he's pushing himself back uh, into the limelight for Team USA's men. And, of course, now Team USA, uh, and they're doing this. They've gotten to the semifinals of the Gold Cup, the CONCACAF Gold Tournament, without any of their star players. This is a second tier of roster of young guys that they are playing in this tournament. They're going to play Panama at Snapdragon Stadium this Wednesday, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that there. And in terms of the USA women, tell you what, there's another star on the horizon. We've talked about the World Cup that starts at the end of this coming month and, and the fact that Alex Morgan, Megan Rapinoe are all part of what's left of the dynasty. But, boy, there are a couple of younger players that have just jumped uh, into the spotlight. One is a young 18-year-old forward, Elisa Thompson, goal scorer. And the other is Trinity Rodman. And she is a sniper. She is big. She is physical. She's the daughter of Dennis Rodman, the NBA star. He's not had very much to do with her. He's kind of a deadbeat dad because mm-hmm. he's a deadbeat person when he wasn't playing basketball. But Trinity Rodman has come out of nowhere and he's become a force up front for Team USA's women. So I can't wait for the – you and I are soccer junkies. Well, I can't wait for the Women's World Cup to start. It's going to be so cool down in Australia. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well because I follow the men's program pretty closely, but not the women as much. But I'm going to really dive in here. And, yeah, it's great seeing Rodman's kid in there because, I mean, all that's great genetics. Got a worm in the women's tournament, so this is good. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the Pulisic thing is interesting because – like you said, the EPL is at the top of the mountain and, and the, you know, the Italian League or Spain, France, it's like a step down, isn't it? Yeah, and it really is. I mean, the EPL is a monster moneymaker. I think the English Premier League soccer is equal to what the National Football League here is stateside. Yeah. And but he got he got involved in a situation where he went to Chelsea as a young player. He'd come out of Germany. I think he played at Dortmund as a young teenager mm-hmm. and got to Chelsea and there was expectation, but he was so young he didn't meet the expectation. And then he got hurt. He's had a whole series of injuries while he's been playing. So he's in the lineup, he's out of the lineup. Then there's coaching personality issues, I think, there in the media. I don't think has treated Christian Prolisic as a star. He's a star this side of the of, oh, of no the water. But uh over there, no. So He's exiting. I'm I'm stunned that he would leave the EPL uh, rather than go somewhere else on a clean piece of paper. But he's it's obvious he's going to AC Milan. That's what everybody internationally is is writing about. Well, you know, Landon Donovan was pushing Pulisic to come play MLS, mm-hmm. and then Alexi Lawless was saying, "Yeah, you can't do that because his his skill set would erode. He wouldn't be prepared for World Cup 2026." So it's very interesting how you know. Donovan came back and played in the MLS. Maybe he thinks everyone else should follow his lead. Well, there is a salary cap. And let's understand, Landon Donovan came here at the end of his career. Pulisic is 24. Hmm. There's a salary cap in MLS. 
this deal at AC Milan is 23 mil per year. Hey. So he's not he's not going to turn his back on Italy to come play for somebody here in MLS at uh, salary cap level. So fascinating. Okay, you wanted it. It's your turn. You're going to co-host. We have this empty chair over here. <laughs> Who wants to join us in fans forum? Look at these questions. John, you got a lot of friends out there and probably some sniper fire coming too. Go ahead. Yeah, they, we do. Here's Ryan Kennedy and Ryan says, "Hey, what do you think uh, what do you think of the LA Kings trading for Pierre-Luc Dubois and their goalie situation? They gave up too much to get Dubois. Well, they they paid a price to get Dubois, but this is an established young guy. I think he's 25. He potted 27 goals on a really bad Winnipeg Jets team. And before that, I mean, he played really, really well up in Ottawa. And of course, he, he was in Nashville. Uh, they paid a price, but they are so deep. They may have the deepest collection of center icemen of anybody. Because you add Dubois, a sniper, to Kopitar, who's a superstar, to Adrian Kempe, had 43 goals last season, and the teenager, Quentin Byfield, been a little slow to develop, but he's only 19 or 20. They are so deep uh, down the middle. So I, I think it was, it was a pricey price they paid to get him. I don't understand the decision to let Junis Corposalo go. He carried them through the NHL playoffs, and the Kings kind of became a surprise team. They let him go, and he, you know, the ex-Nashville Predator winds up in Ottawa. They didn't want to pay him five million a year. Now that's the price you pay for a star goalie. And Corposalo was a star in Nashville, and what he did at the end of end of the season, I thought was pretty impressive. I was disappointed there. So I, I don't know if they created a hole. But the two goaltenders are Cam Talbot, who's kind of a journeyman, who's had some success, and obviously Phoenix Copley, who they picked up off the street that played really well for large chunks of the season. But when they got to the postseason, the most important time of the year, who was between the pipes? Junis Corposalo. So, Ryan, I don't agree with the Corposalo thing, but it may well have just been driven by the cap that they you can't pay everybody everything they want. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder how the NHL would kind of set up their their roster because they bring in these players you know, on these shifts. Are they going to have all those stars in one shift, or they just sort of spread them around? Well, you'll have Dubois will be on one line, and I don't know who his wingers are going to be at this point in time, but they have so much firepower now on each of these different lines they have. Your defensive pairings are pretty stable. You, you, you play your first pair, your second pair, and then sometimes you play a third pair, and those guys... They take their shifts with each other. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you juggle the wingers with a different center. But training camp will be fun. But they, you go find a depth chart of the LA Kings. And again, <laughs> you're talking to a hockey fanatic. Mm-hmm. I know everything that I need to know. You look at the depth chart and you say, damn, that's a pretty good LA Kings team that Rob Blake has put together over just a two and a half year span. Okay, yeah. next question. Okay, moving on down the list. Here's Manny. He says, hey, with the all-star break here, which team will end up winning the National League West and which National League West team will win at the trade deadline? Well, historically, the Padres have always been a winner at the trade deadline, but they don't have anything to trade unless they're going to start moving the guys at lower A in rookie league. And I just don't think you want to do that. Um, last week, Peter Seidler and A.J. Preller, and we talked about it on our podcast last week, you know, they just pronounced, we believe in these guys. We believe in the back of the baseball card because they have done it. We're not going to blow this thing up. There won't be any firings, and I don't think there's going to be any massive trades. Can they nitpick to pick up a role player or maybe an insurance policy pitcher? Yeah, but he'd be fourth or fifth in a rotation. There's not going to be a Max Scherzer out there that somebody's going to try to trade for. So I, I, I think at this point in time, 
The Padres have the roster they have. Now the question is, what we saw just prior to the break, is that going to continue? And keep in mind, Manny, you go look at the schedule. Look at the next 10 that they play all on the road to start the second half of the season. By August 1st, they'll either be in this race or this thing will be over. Uh, so that's that's where we are there. And in terms of who's going to win the West, tell you what, the damn Dodgers just are hammering home runs. And even though their pitching staff is, is ripped by injuries and the bullpen has been Jekyll Hyde, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. Arizona's kind of hit a wall. They're not where they were before. Part of it's got to do with Connor Corbin getting banged up, has injured a shoulder twice. But they their pitching staff looks like it's starting to operate on fumes. And there's still 70-plus games to go in the season. And when you have, you have young teams... You, you say, John, hey, what a great first half the Cincinnati Reds had or what, what the Orioles have done or, geez, what, how cool was what, what Pittsburgh did to be in first place for three or four weeks. But if you're really young or if you're thin, it all catches up to you in the end. Well, it makes you wonder if the Diamondbacks are going to be the ones that might go all in to get a big deal done because they've got a lot of young prospects yeah. that they, they could trade. Could be. Uh, trade deadline will be the 31st. I'm always in favor of being aggressive. If I know what I need and I know somebody's out there, I go get them now. I don't wait till the 31st because the price can change. Somebody could jump in front of you at the end. But you make the deal now, and what it does is it keeps you a starting pitcher that might give you three extra starts in July before you ever get to the trade deadline. And three mm-hmm. quality starts from a guy coming in in the middle of your rotation, that's a big difference maker. Going forward. Okay, next question. Okay, here we go. This is uh, from John Hopkins. He says, the New York Times just laid off their sports department. Is this the beginning of a trend? I think it's happening everywhere. Uh, I was shocked. There's something going on with the L.A. Times, too. Uh, They're changing the whole structure of their sports section. Uh, I mean, mean, you and I grew up sitting on the front porch of our houses reading the newspapers back in the day and we yeah. would look at the box scores and we'd look at the standings and the probable pitching matchups. LA Times is removing all that from the sports section. It's just going to be big pictures and enterprise reporting. Their deadlines are going to be earlier, which means they're not going to be writing about the Dodger game last night or the Lakers. Now, maybe that'll change. Maybe it'll be such a bloody big uproar that the LA Times will give ground. I don't know who's advising them. It makes no sense to me at all. Granted, I mean, you talk to beat writers, the deadlines of the papers is so much earlier now. They're writing more feature stories and getting in a snippet of what happened in the game in the ninth inning. Um, I don't think it's it's good for journalism. The New York Times thing is is shocking to me because it is a great paper. It does have a a great history. But understand this, John, uh, that the New York Times purchased the athletic website. So if you're a sports fan, if you're not going to subscribe to the New York Times because there won't be a sports section per se Mm – you subscribe to The Athletic because they do in-depth, long-form stories on everything. You know, some game stories, but long-form evaluations of the Yankees of the trade deadline or how many pitchers have had Tommy John surgery or or what's going to happen next in the National Football League. Uh, and the subscriptions are, are fairly affordable, and it's all online. It's not a printed newspaper. Some of us old school guys like the feel and the smell of a newspaper every morning <laughs> at breakfast. I know you do. I saw I saw those yeah. papers out the garage. It's all the ink on your fingers when you were done with that. But, you know, this isn't the beginning of the trend. This trend's been going on for yep. decades. Um, and we talked about, you know, ESPN and all those layoffs that they had. It just seems that 
the New York Times isn't my go-to place for sports information. No. So it makes sense they're going to cut that. But people are enjoying podcasts, right? People are getting their information online. People are finding these niche providers that just focus on the Yankees or the Mets. They don't want to get a generalist like the Times to do that. I mean, the Times covers a different caliber of or a different category readership. of, yeah, of, of uh, readers talking about world issues. Um, so... Yeah, this the, the landscape is going to continue to be blown up. Local TV, local media. I mean, it's incredible how everything's changed. You've lived it. I survived it. <laughs> I was wounded by it. But yes, I did. I'm disappointed because I'm a big New York Times guy and I grew up on Long Island. And the Times was really special. There's still great journalism being done. I'll be honest with you. If you look at what the New York Times does in terms of covering the globe and uncovering politics oh, and yeah. what's happened in the election and all that, the Washington Post, the Boston Globe. Now, for me, the shocker is the L.A. Times and what they're doing. I don't understand the philosophy, what they think they're going to sell the public, all these piece, puff pieces and, and flare stories rather than actual hard news. L.A. Times is number two in the market. And, mm -hmm. and all look at what's happened in the East Coast and great journalism being done in so many great places. And the L.A. Times is going to do something radical. I have a prime example. L.A. Times Sunday sports section, I think, is down, was down. It's going to change this weekend. I think it was down to six or eight pages. Union Tribune. Yeah, the Union Tribune on Sunday, and I like their Sunday section and the new sports editor. Union Tribune has gone sometimes 12-page sports sections. Now, some of that is a lot of national stuff, but they do have... You know, the local features and a local columnist and some opinion pieces and obviously all the notebook stuff covering the Padres ad nauseum. Uh, but this is the L.A. Times. We're not we're talking about the Sacramento Bee. We're talking about the <laughs> L.A. Times. Yeah. And it's it, to me, it's it's changed. So I'll be interested to see what the uproar with that is going to be. On we go. A couple more here on Fans Forum. OK, so this is uh, from Emmanuel. He says, what's going on with the Pac-12 media rights deal? Where does it leave San Diego State? I think San Diego State's going to get an offer. I don't know how quickly that offer will take place. Uh, you know, one of the headlines we ran last week was lawyer up, because that's what's going to happen between San Diego State and the Mountain West Conference about did they resign? The conference says, yes, you did. You owe us $17 million exit fee right now. San Diego State says no. But then the story that was dug up that the president of San Diego State went to a president's council meeting in Hawaii and said, we probably are going to leave, and I'm saying goodbye to all of you now. Well, that, to me, then followed up by what she actually wrote in a letter has kind of led us to this point. Pac-12 Media Day is, I think, July 21st, and the push that I hear is they're trying to get this media deal done for the 10 remaining teams to announce at the Pac-12 Media Day. And then I think when, once that's solidified, then there will be the offers to San Diego State, and I believe it's going to be SMU to take this thing to 12. Uh, but all part of this has to get each of the current members, the Oregons and the Washingtons, the power schools, to agree to the land of uh, rights grant deed, which is going to lock them into the conference for the length of the new media deal. I don't know if that's happened yet. It's got to happen before the deal can be announced. So it's It's complex. I don't. San Diego State's got at least one more year in the pack uh, in the Mountain West Conference. I don't. I don't think they're going to stay there. And I think that they'll pay the seven million and or seventeen mil, and then they'll become a member of the Pac-12 somewhere in the next couple of years. But you know, the, the big issue is: Does San Diego State really have the resources? 
do they have the pot of gold in the NIL checking account to be able to compete? Because if the University of Oregon is offering its star players forty to 50000 to be part of the NIL and come play for the Ducks, where's San Diego State going to get that money? It's That, to me, is a big, big issue. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see where that goes, too, because— you know, hopefully a lot of it will come from the ticket revenue and some of the other marketing deals they can do. But I'm curious to see how this Pac-12 media deal goes because, you know, they're not going to get all the marquee stations, you know, the ABCs and the ESPNs. I'd imagine a good portion of the games are going to be streaming. And if they're not on Amazon or some big streaming platform, it might be on a few rinky-dink ones there, too, especially if Washington State is playing, you know, Arizona State. Yeah, it's a it's a huge issue as to how they're going to distribute. And this is this is the genesis of the mess they're in, because that former commissioner, Larry Scott, was the guy that planted the flag and says, Pac-12 Network, we're going to do great things. And they never got full distribution. They were not on direct TV. Mm-hmm. It was subscription. And they never got distribution comparable to what the Big Ten Network became. My God, they were the first one out of the gates. What the SEC has done, the ACC, the Big 12, they were so far far behind the curve. And the debt that they took on to create this, and it never, ever worked. And then Larry Scott got shoved out the door. The, the end result, he cost the conference an enormous amount of money. He cost the conference its prestige. And now, of course, in the middle of the night, you lose USC and UCLA. How about two more here before we wrap our bonus coverage on a Monday? Okay, let's get a couple of social media folks involved here. Um, and uh, let's go with um, this one here. They talk about sports media. Uh, this is from uh, Defax No Nonsense. And he says, Pat McAfee got big versus nothing changed for Stephen A. Smith contractually because he re-signed with ESPN when he fired Max. Well, Stephen A. Smith has is, is got a, a population, popularity base that's pretty strong. Signed him to a mega contract. I don't know if he's a one-trick pony. I don't know if this is going to get tired after a while. People say he's on all the time talking about all these different things. Does, does he really have credibility or is he just a yeller and screamer? That, to me, is a big issue. I can't watch him very much because it just turns into the brothers and this and that. McAfee created something that was really unique, and he's done it on the social media platform, and it's exploded. Now he goes to ESPN. Will people gravitate and watch him every day of the week? I don't know. The turnover there has been just terrible. There's so many good journalists that have lost their job. But I understand what Disney has had to do because the rights fees have just exploded. The rights fees they have to pay, they got to take the money from somewhere to put it there, and they start to cut staff. But at the end of the day, when you cut talent, it catches up to you. And we can't sit there and watch Stephen A. Smith yell and scream every morning, and that's the end-all, be-all of ESPN. And so it's a real tough call, feel bad for a lot of the people, but a lot of those people have really good careers for a long period of time. I just don't know journalistically if that's what ESPN should be doing, but it's happening everywhere. I mean, CNN has blown up all of its day parts. Mm-hmm. Fox News has has turned the thing upside down, the aftermath of, of the massive lawsuits and the Tucker Carlson fiasco. Uh, MSNBC has changed the structure. They're the ones that seem to be on the rise and and getting pretty hot. So, Lance, as you use the word landscape, landscape has surely changed. Yeah, Stephen A. To me, he when he first came on the scene, he was fun. 
You're like, who is this guy? And you know, he was always talking about LeBron James, and they did the SNL skit on him. And, but sometimes when Stephen A is talking about things outside of the NBA, he doesn't really seem to have the knowledge base. I mean, he knows football a bit. He loves walking around Dallas with his cowboy hat on you and giving a hard time to the yeah, fans. Yeah, but that's all shtick. It's you, all, need, yeah. you need substance here. Exactly. I mean, he's, he's made some things. He's been called out nationally about what the hell are you talking about this player? You don't know what this guy's been doing. Mm-hmm. What? And Stephen A, he's got great shtick. But you need substance to match the shtick. And for him just to stand up and just yell and scream every day about different topics, it just, to me, it wears you out watching it. So um, not my cup of tea, but then there's people out there, three or four of them, that don't like me either. So, <laughs> all right, let's do one more social media. Okay. Uh, this is about the Shohei Otani contract. And, you know, you got a lot of heat from people on Instagram and YouTube saying, why only five years is the proposal that you put on the table? Uh, here's a comment from Jose Rangel. He says, Marty Moreno is not going to get a lot in return in a trade because why would you give up the farm if they could just sign him three months later? This is not a Soto situation where the Padres would still have two and a half years of control when trading for him. So they had to give up the farm. Artie gave Trout $430 million years back. Why would Otani take anything less? Come on, Lee, you're not being realistic. Let me co-host. I'll help. You'll spend Artie's money. But understand this. We're talking about a pitcher. We're just not talking about a designated hitter. And you don't give guys 10-year contracts if they might be done with pitching injuries four years into the deal. Remember, he's already had Tommy John surgery in the course of his career. Uh, there's, there's no argument here that this is the greatest player of modern-day times. I mean, he is blown by Aaron Judge and Bryce Harper or whatever. But at the end of the day, part of his ability is on the mound. And I just don't know with the number of innings he pitches – and the wear and tear factor, and the what he has to do to prepare to be a two-position player, uh, you know, there's a burnout factor I fear about Otani. So I, I said five years, $250 million based on the fact that pitchers break down. Now, if he can't pitch anymore, that's not to say you can't give him $50 million per season to be my everyday DH or my right fielder, mm-hmm. but I think the base deal is five years, $50 million per season, just to lock them down and keep them. Now, you raise a good point. Why would anybody overpay if he's a walk-free agent? But what you do is you go to Artie Moreno. If Moreno indicates we, we made an offer, he has refused to accept it, we have to trade him. What Moreno does then is he gives the Dodgers. He gives the Dodgers. This is, this is sacrilegious to talk about trading with the enemy. Mm-hmm. Give the Dodgers permission to talk to Otani's agents about the terms of what an expansion extension deal would be like and if they agree otani wants to wear dodger blue instead of angel red and you know what the dollar value is and he's going to sign the extension then you go back and you say i want all those pitchers at oklahoma city or i want james outman the center fielder or bush uh the young multi-infielder you know, if I'm going to trade you Otani because I've allowed you to reach agreement on an extension with Otani because he doesn't want to be here anymore, you've got to give me five for one or six for one. That's how you do the deal. You're not going to trade him so somebody can rent him for three months. That's 
That's not fair to Otani. If I were king, that's what I would do. But first, if I were king, I would make him a magnanimous superstar offer. Oh, for sure. So that's where I am. And your response? My response is, is I heard that Artie Moreno, no way, no how, would he trade him to the Dodgers. You know, it's just like you say, it's sacrilegious. So um, I'm curious to see what they're going to be doing. The national media is all, they're all saying that the Angels have to trade Otani. I don't think you know? so. Because we don't, don't know they what, do. what's in Otani's heart. We right. Because he's very retrospective. He's very inclusive. He's very quiet. There's never, ever leakage. His agent conducts a business beneath the curtain. Um, if he wants to stay and they give him a magnanimous offer, then maybe he does stay. I, I just don't think Otani's persona is going to be, trade me, trade me right now, damn it. I no, don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, but you know, we all like the media all make an assumption. Oh, he wants to stay on the West Coast. Oh, he wants to go to Seattle because a lot of other Japanese players have played there. Oh, he doesn't want to be on the East Coast. He's too far away from Japan. I think a lot of these are just assumptions that people are pulling out of the air. So Otani knows who he is and where he fits in the history of baseball. If I'm in his shoes, I, I go where I want to go. And if that means playing on the East Coast or for the Cardinals or whomever, I don't see why that would be excluded from his situation. So curious to see what Artie Moreno does. But to your point, I agree. Moreno needs to pony up and make an effort, if for nothing else, just to show goodwill to his fan base. Because uh, he can't just let the guy walk and get nothing in return. If the average salary is $50 million, you pay him $50 million. I do it on a shorter-term contract because of the injury issue with the pitcher. But if he can no longer pitch, he becomes my designated hitter at age 31 in the rest of his career. And you still pay him $50 million per season. There's always ways to do extensions. But to say, I'm going to give you 15 years at $50 million per season, I can't do that. I don't he think that's mi- he responsible. He might want only five years because five yeah. years down the road, he might get $75 million a year. Exactly. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed the wide variety of topics we put on the table, our Monday bonus podcast package. Uh, please subscribe, tell all your friends, share with everybody what I do in studio, what John does out in left field. If you like us, give us a thumbs up, give us a five-star rating. We'll be back here Thursday and tell everybody about my website also. John, have yourself a great couple of nights. Here comes the All-Star Game, and then we will talk about the start of the second half of the baseball season when we rejoin everybody in studio on Thursday. Lee, get some sleep tonight. Oh, you better believe that. (laughs) Hey, thanks for being part of Hacksaw's Headlines. Have yourself a great night. We'll see you come Thursday. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.